You are listening to the Partnership for the Arts talk show with Dave and Judy. Okay, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Partnership for the Arts, where we talk art. Hope you all are doing great today. Judy, how are you? Hey, I'm doing really fine, Dave. I've been pretty busy here, having a good time, found that even being retired, I'm busier probably than I was when I was working full time. <laughs> and you wonder how you got anything else done, right? I do sometimes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, excited about the show today? I'm really excited. You were telling me about our guest, mm-hmm. Drew Geraci, and I don't know a whole lot about comic art. And I did a little bit of research on my own, and I'm super excited to hear more about it. Well, you're going to get to learn all the kind of good stuff in and out, and uh, Drew's also uh, been busy doing some other things, novels and all. We're going to talk to him about that uh, when we get ready to start the show. So, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, then here we go. This is Partnership for the Arts. Come join us as we explore the worlds of art. You can find us on our Facebook page, Partnership for the Arts Group Talk Show. Or you can find all of our episodes on our new website, pftatalkshow.org. This show is recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida. Hey everyone, we're back and we're excited to introduce Drew Geraci to our show and find out a little bit about what he's up to today. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Great, great to have you on. And everyone, we are speaking with Drew via the web. And Drew, you are in Atlanta, correct? Uh, Yeah, just a little south of Atlanta, but essentially they call it Atlanta. Like Pittsburgh has a billion townships, but they all call themselves Pittsburgh overall, you know. Well, welcome to the show, Drew. We are happy to have you here today. Well, thank you very much. I, I appreciate it. Looking forward to seeing what we what we find out together. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. And Drew, we had mentioned before you came on some of the things you do, but uh, we're going to kind of cover those in detail. So how about we get started? That sounds okay to me. <laughs> All right. All right. So before the show, we had a chance to talk. Well, let's start with the comics. You've been involved in, in the comic world for a while, correct? Uh, since 1995, yeah. <laughs> so over 25 years. Same year I got married, I uh, I threw myself headlong into comics because I thought, well, why have a stable job while you're newlyweds? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go from there, Drew. You didn't get into comics by just one day deciding you were going to ink something and start handing them out on the street. You actually started out assisting, correct? Well, yeah, I start off assisting Dave Johnson, who is a uh, is award winning uh, cover artist for a lot of uh, DC and Marvel comics, and he was he was real helpful. I met him at a conventions. He sent me samples, and I worked on them like with frosted acetate and inked over it with a brush, and he liked it. And I became his assistant for about seven months. I learned a lot. The you know, first thing was getting over the fear of a live page in front of you that's going to be printed so he started off with he started me off with like a silhouette of a train and train tracks so it kind of got me comfortable and then i got you know i i really picked up on it quick because i just wanted it so bad uh, i've wanted it most of my life but for the longest time i was my own worst enemy i was like you know ah, it's just a pipe dream ah, you're not that good but uh, i was you know my biggest obstacle was myself and uh i I always did pretty good. I went to the Art Institute of Pittsburgh, which recently closed mm-hmm. its doors. I, I went there, and I some of the stuff was 
uh, almost immediately, how can I say, outdated by the time I graduated. We were learning how to do to write fonts, hand lettering and kerning and doing three-point perspective by hand and all this other stuff that uh, computer, what did they call that, desktop publishing time in the late 80s. And then it evolved. But uh, I did have a life drawing class, which I really enjoyed. It was a guy named Henry Kerner, and uh, we'd have nudes, pose. And he, the teacher... How long am I allowed on this show? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're doing good on time, Drew, so go I, ahead. I just don't want to be, you know. Um, so, but anyway, I, I had a teacher, uh, Henry Kerner, who's, uh, he painted many Time Magazine covers for the 50s and 60s, and uh, famous people sat for him, like the Kennedys and Barbara Streisand and all these other people, and uh, Maria Callas, and he had us draw with a rapidograph pen, no pencil. And uh, it was like drawing without a net, but it made you think of every line you're putting down. And to be completely immodest, I was pretty much the best in the class. But it gave me such a rush because a confidence booster because I wasn't sitting there redrawing and redrawing and redrawing. And uh, I was just going for it. And he said, uh, he said, you are a master of line art, something like that. <laughs> and I was really flattered. But I still wasn't good enough to be an anchor in comics. But that's something I always wanted to do. But then I, I took the safe route, went for a career in advertising. And that was okay. But I was so restless after a while. And uh, I kept getting promoted to higher and higher management, getting away from the art aspect of it. So, you know, I quit, took a... Uh, minimum wage job and I had my evenings and weekends free again. It took me about two and a half years of really figuring out what I was doing because the whole thing about inking and even when I was a kid I loved inking which is where you get pencils from an artist and depending if you're a good inker or not you do quote unquote trace over it but if you do a terrible job it's going to be very evident but if you do a, a, a really good job it's going to either be you know, very professional or great, you know. So, you know, when I started my first, uh, I started my first job on uh, Justice League of America, which at, at the time was a low-selling book because uh, they didn't have all the big stars that they were worried about continuity with other titles. And then a year later, Grant Morrison rebooted it with, with uh, Howard Porter. And mm -hmm. uh, and I got to ink Howard later on, which was great. I mean, I, I got to work on the number one title, but it was, it was like plateaus. And I've always liked the cold graphic of black and white. Gaijin Studios, which is helmed by Brian Stelfreeze, really got into like the Patrick Nagel style. You know, the guy who did Rio, the painting, and did a whole bunch right. of other stuff. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was always drawn to that, and apparently so was Brian. I love doing that kind of stuff. And, and that's even in the 80s, I was trying to break in, sort of, but very. I just, I just, I, I wasn't very, I just wasn't really motivated. I was kind of, didn't apply myself. But uh, yeah, and then when I realized I was about 27, I'm like, you know, I could do this. Uh, I could not do this and be a bitter old man, or I should go for the brass ring. So I, I you know, I took the baby steps and uh, I got in and I apparently I, I I hit the deadlines and I got better with each book I did. And, you know, I I'd have to turn down assignments. I'd get assignments left and right, which was uh, flattering, but maddening, you know, because yes. it's like, oh, I want to take everything on. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
But, uh, okay. Well, sure. You've probably been asked this before, but you know, when did you first get interested in comics, and what were your favorite comics at the time? I mean, for me, I think it was Betty and Veronica, but I, <laughs> I know that's not the the kind of uh, inking that you do. Drew. Well, my, yeah, my wife actually, she said she liked Archie's, and then when she then she grew up enough, she got rid of them. You know, like some people grow out of comics, and so that's the only thing she really read that she could remember. But I, I was about seven years old. I was staying at my grandparents' house for a whole summer, and I loved being there because being the grandchild, you get kind of spoiled. So uh, anyway, I there was a Seven Eleven, you know, a good walk away, and my grandmother took me, and we uh, she got me like six comics, and I bought all Marvel comics because they were so the covers were so splashy and multicolored, and the DC books were very scary and too adult looking for. Marvel was sensational in its styling; it's very pop art. But DC had these, like, uh, there's a guy named Neil Adams and Nick Cardi. I mean, they, they do mm-hmm. people you can almost touch. I mean, and they had the horror comics that were just scary looking. And it was very scary looking to me. But those six comics I read the whole summer, I just, I started drawing my own. I just started, I was like, I'd reread them and I just didn't really get into collecting them. I just thought, well, these look like fun. They're fun to draw, and it, it just became such a passion with me. I, I just drew that whole summer, and then when I got back to Pittsburgh, I uh, you know continued doing it on like the weekends and stuff like that. And uh, it, it was so fun. It was emulating, you know, not with light boxes or whatever. I would just eyeball it, you know, with a big mm-hmm. yeah, Freehand. with a big pen mm-hmm. on lined uh, school paper. <laughs> so, as a young boy, then was it the the artistry that you were interested in or the story itself, the heroism, the fantasy, or what really captured your interest in the comics? I think it was a little bit of everything. It's like I sort of wanted to be those characters. I thought they were cool. At the time, I mean, Marvel just had this really, there was a sense of nobility around the around the good guys. And, and I'm not saying you have to make everything black and white, but I can't even think, I could relate to a lot of the characters, even though I hadn't fought Thanos or anything. <laughs> it's just um i can't quite describe it it just hit me i have this thing in my mind i literally do not recall anything in my life until i saw my first comics that's like when my mind's eye opened up you know and and i just started drawing like crazy and i thought everybody did that and then uh years later Mm -hmm. i I was sketching at a show and some guy was like really fussing over me which was very flattering but it wasn't that great a sketch and I said, uh, here you go, you know, and uh, if I'm like 100% happy with the sketch, and if somebody gets to wait too long, sometimes I'll just give it to them. And if they flip it on eBay, that's on them, you know, but I, I usually do charge. And I said, I don't get it. And my friend Deerwood says, Drew, not everybody can draw. <laughs> and I just assumed everybody did, you know, because I just took to it. It was, so, it was such a release. I was such a quiet little church mouse. Uh, and it just really gave me a feeling of expression. You know, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's wonderful. It's a great beginning, Drew. I can completely relate to that. Yeah. I was the same way. Yeah, that's that's it's it's fun. It's just uh, mm-hmm. I just didn't realize it was a gift, you know, and uh, I just thought it was just another muscle you work on, like if you're doing wind sprints or something. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I mean, the other thing, too, is like uh, later on, I really got attracted to inking because I could tell inking. I could tell good inkers from bad inkers by the results of the comics. If it looked really shabby, it was somebody who used ink and uh, just really didn't know what they were doing and they were banging it out for the deadlines. And I just love, I love cold graphic blackness because 
it's like you're taking an image from reality and you're editing it down to align art with values and weight and you're somehow pulling it off it's like it could, you know comics are ideally they're stylized improvements on what you actually see in reality like you'll see the idealized characters and environments so uh, and that's that always really uh uh, sang to me. I don't know if that's the right. That sounds kind of pretentious saying that. <laughs> no, nah, I think you're fine. I think that's a great description there, Drew. Appreciate that. Okay, so Drew, I'm going to ask you to hold on one second here okay. because we're going to go to commercial break, everyone. So hang on, and we'll be back in just a minute. You got to pay those bills. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Kit Moran, visual artist and jazz singer and I listen to Partnership for the Arts talk show. Okay, everyone, welcome back to Partnership for the Arts, where we talk art. We are sitting here with Drew... Geraci. Geraci, there we go. Comic book artist and also novelist, and we're going to get to that. But we want to make sure we thank Kit Moran for that spot. Again, Kit Moran is a jazz musician. She's uh, performed with work for Merv Griffin, Burt Bacharach, many others. She is also a playwright and a oil painter here locally in uh, the Punta Gorda area. So Kit, thank you for that spot. And if you want to learn more about Kit, you can certainly check out that episode on our website. So Drew, we were talking during break. And we were kind of discussing the process of how a comic book gets created, how it starts. So can you kind of run through that process with us? Uh, for many, gosh, like the first seven decades of comics, uh, maybe, uh, or so, it's been assembly line uh, style for purposes of getting the books out on time. For the longest time, quality wasn't 100% important. It was just get it out. And uh you had studios like uh, Jack Kirby and Joe Simon had their studios already had like 50 people, uh, men and women. Jack Kirby would like lay out a page very loosely. Somebody might pencil it and then you know hand it literally over to the inker in the next table. And he would ink it up or uh, uh, the letterer, you know, that's you know, that was hand lettering, which I miss because it was very much like calligraphy. And I don't mean I don't mean fancy fonts. I just mean like the letter S may not look the same in the same paragraph. It's just as little human touch nuances that are now gone thanks to computer lettering, which is all very samey. For many years it was that way, but solely to get product out because when Superman hit big and then Batman hit big, there were all these comic publishing houses that just grabbed everybody and anybody. And so they had it. It was like an assembly line. Get the books out on time because they were selling in the millions in the 40s. And it, it dropped off a bit. Rarely ever got back to millions except for a very brief time in the early 90s when the speculator craze hit. It almost killed the industry because everyone realized if you buy one of a million copies and saved it, it's not going to be worth anything because everybody, a million other people have it. Anyway, but that went on. And then last, uh, the last 10 years or so, they've changed uh, the way they do it now. Like I scan stuff. I used to, I used to live and die by FedEx. I'd have to finish my pages. And sometimes my wife would drive me to the FedEx office. I'm still taping up the box and <laughs> filling out the form. And, uh, I mean, it was a real race against time. And, uh, but I mean, I was always good with the deadline and I just did whatever I sacrificed, whatever I could. But, you know, lately the onus of production is more on the freelancers, which 
it's kind of awkward because it's sort of like having a second job. Kind of get happy with the times. Like I'll have pages scanned and sent to me. I'll print them out in blue lines, which is 25% blue, no black. And then I can ink over them. And any of the pencils in blue will not reproduce right. when it's... Uh, but that, so that's becoming more common. And the production is also, they basically got rid of the production uh, in house. Uh, and a lot of letterers and such know how to format the pages so that they'll print properly. But I'll, I'll finish my inks. Instead of mailing it off to a colorist or the editor, I will uh, scan it and send it to the FTP site. And uh, the good thing about that is that instead of waiting a whole day for uh, FedEx to show up, you could take a job and, say, and get the pages within an hour, less than an hour, you know, without having to wait till nine in the morning or hang out on the stoop. Uh, the thing I love about inking is, uh, in a sense, I had final say in how the art would come out. My purpose is to make the pencil shine, be as good as they can in whatever style it doesn't have to all be clean and neat it could be you know scruffy and you know if i was doing a western or something but uh a lot of times if i do something like that then colors colors may add like this huge uh fade effect to insinuate smoke and such like that and a lot of times that destroys the design elements of the panels that you look at so when you're doing the inking, Drew, do you do the whole panel or do you specialize on a, on a certain character in the story or you, you do it all, the whole nine yards? Oh, I do the whole thing. The lettering used to be on the board, but now they just do it in production. And I do sort of miss seeing the lettering on the board because to me that's a comic page. But I, I, I do everything. First, I ink the border panels with a bold uh you know, tip or pitograph pen. And, you know, if I'm warming up in the morning, I don't want to do, don't do it like a face or something incredibly nuanced. Uh, I'll start with a building, you know, I get triangle, you know, my beveled triangle and all that. I, I do all the windows and it's real easy stuff. I mean, I mm -hmm. can, I literally like wake up to that while I'm, you know, sipping coffee and, uh, which is below my table. I don't put my <laughs> coffee near my table because that's a, that's inviting disaster. Right. So, uh, <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, I, I ink everything, but uh, then as I get warmed up a couple hours in, I'll start doing figures and faces. But uh, I had an assistant uh, a couple years in the 90s, and he was awesome. He did a lot of my backgrounds, but and I paid him fairly. I gave him pretty much what my rate would be if I did X amount of panels. But, uh, no, I, I mean, I do everything, pretty much 90% of the comics I've done. And it, what I like is I can ink, like, long flowing hair, a different way than I would uh, bricks, you know, and that would be a lot looser, more freehand. And then I could draw uh, metallic stuff with a like a plane flying in the area. I would use rapidograph pens and uh, ship curves and uh, to do all that stuff. So there's some stuff I love being like trees are so fun to ink because they're organic and you can't screw them up i mean it's just it's a tree there's no, no there's no design set pace yeah, there, yeah there's no like design sheets for a tree you know so uh that's that's what i really enjoy because I, if i get something like that to play with the textures and such oh my gosh i'm in heaven <laughs> well, who's your favorite artist to ink gosh that's a tough question i, I think uh my, this guy named scott eaton he's not really famous but he's done a ton of stuff for marvel and dc over the years and i got to ink him on a story arc in thor and then a four-part story arc in captain america and it was great and the thing is a lot of times editors will have their own groups of inkers and pencils and they'll mix and match so it's like 
Scott got called on to another project that already had an anchor in place. So I had to find another gig and I did. It's just that I would have loved to stay with him, but it just wasn't in the cards. You know, it's not that it's not some it's not scandalous or anything. It's just the way, you know, business goes. Yeah, it's the way the industry works. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, Drew, I, I had a question pop up there. I, you had mentioned something about you had an assistant and you were paying. So, so how does the rates go? And do they pay you by the page or by the panel that you do? Oh, good question. I get paid per page. Per page. So, uh, so like, um, there'll be times where, you know, I will have a Tuesday sitting on my duff, you know, just like not having anything. And for that day, I'm unemployed. <laughs> so I, uh, I mean, I used to call the letterers. Uh, I worked with this guy named Chuck Dixon, who's very prolific, and he has very stripped down style where he doesn't get too purple prose uh, like in his uh, writing. And I would call the letterer and say, "Yeah, can I have a page or two for tomorrow? Because I got nothing to do on a Tuesday." And having nothing on a Tuesday means you'll probably have to end up working that Saturday or Sunday or both. So uh, yeah, it's 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 a page a day. And it's a flat rate, and uh, there are royalties involved uh, later on, and especially if it gets collected in tra- uh, trade paperback. So I have a lot of, I have like at least thirty. I have an Amazon page that has uh, at least thirty books on it of trade paperbacks, and that's only because I can't remember, you know, all the other ones I've done. <laughs> so, but it, it's it's flattering. Yeah. Okay. And timelines. Do they vary on you very much? Timeline work, the deadlines work for you. Well, usually a page a day, and there's 22 pages. Well, there were, now they're down to 20 in a 30-day period. But the problem is you don't always get the art in a timely manner. Maybe the writer is late. Maybe the penciler had to go to take care of some family stuff uh, out of town. So uh, you have to accommodate for that. And a lot of times, sometimes work will bottleneck up for me, but it'll really bottleneck up for the colorist down the road, you know? And uh, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's sort of how it goes. You know, it's like the more pages I do, like I, summer of 96, mm-hmm. I, I was a shut-in for the whole summer because I was doing two pages a day for a 200-page project. And uh, Superman and Wonder Woman Elseworlds special. Elseworlds is like a, uh, uh, a different uh, version of the you know, DC Universe. But I made my bones with them. And then ever since then, I got, you know, they knew I was somebody to rely on. But uh, that was that was wild. <laughs> that, <laughs> that was my uh, really, I mean, I worked on small titles. And this is like my first big break. And uh, it got me the attention, so uh, that's what you have to do sometimes. Sounds like it was nonstop with lots of coffee. Well, you got the two two pots a day. <laughs> <laughs> two pots, a pot per page, huh? Is that the way it works? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think of that ever. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, Drew, I want to back up just a little bit. You were talking about how you, you first got involved in it and, and your start. You graduated from, from the school, and... Did you just go out and start looking in the industry? I mean, how did you actually get started where you were, were doing the pages? Um, I mean, there was a big year gap. I mean, I graduated in 86 from the Art Institute of Pittsburgh, and I didn't break into mm-hmm. comics till 1994. But a lot of it was uh, I had a, a job doing paste up, which is very early pre-production stuff that most people wouldn't understand. I'm just saying not to be rude. It's just that it's very archaic way of doing things now. So I started off doing that, and I kept getting promoted 
And I kind of got caught up in like, uh, oh, well, you know, wow, they, you know, they like me enough because I'm working hard. And they from this company promoted from within, which was really good for me to learn that, hey, I can achieve this stuff. So then when I was about 27, I said, why don't I apply the disciplines I've learned through these hard jobs that I excelled at and apply it towards breaking into comic books? And that's, okay. if I did not have that real world experience, I probably wouldn't, it'd still be crying that I never made it into comic books. I mean, did you start submitting oh. artwork to people to, or, or how did you actually get to where you were doing your first assignment? Oh, well, I mean, I, yeah, I sent, uh, I sent samples to Marvel DC. This is back when they could take unsolicited stuff. They, they don't accept un, unsolicited samples because of legal issues, you right. know, which is understandable. But no, no I, uh, Work on my portfolio. I met Dave Johnson at a convention, a Dragon Con, and I got his address. He mailed me some sample pages, and there's this frosted acetate you can ink on. So after that, like by the end of the week, I had two pages, and uh, he liked them and left me a message. And uh, I was like a schoolgirl with a crush listening <laughs> on the other end. I'm like, woo, I can't believe it. He knows me. So, uh, so uh, then I started pretty much right away, but it wasn't a lot of work because Dave still did a ton of the heavy work. I was mm. the background guy. And uh, but it gave me it was taking off the training wheels. It was like, wow. I mean, I, I was like, wow, this is the real the real deal. And uh, so, uh, I mean, is that just right place, right there time? It's like um, meant to be. I met. Um, yeah. And then uh, the, the guy from Justice League America, his inker had left to uh, pursue some other you know career. And uh, there was an opening and I, I got I sent samples on uh Thursday night, FedEx for Friday morning, and Brian Augustine told me the pages are coming on Monday. So it's wow. like bada-boom, bada-bing. <laughs> so do you attend conventions now? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I, do, I do about five or six a year. And, uh, I like to, There's a lot of great ones in Tennessee. I, I tend to like to stick to neighboring states because after a while, you don't want to just break even, you know, just to go to yet another place that, you know, I sort of have to make some money, <laughs> and so I have to I have to consider I could be home making money, yet I'm traveling. So, uh, but I love conventions. I mean, comics fans. I mean, I'm still a comics fan, and I I just love talking to people and hearing what they what they're interested in, what they you know. It's 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 like this fascinating secret community, you know, <laughs> with a with a secret with a secret handshake, even though it's out in the open, you know. Is because I never forgot who I was when I was on the other side of the table. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Okay. So, everyone, hold on. We're going to take another break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk with Drew, and we're going to get into the novels. So, Drew, hold on there one second. Okay, we'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was a pretty good sound effect. <laughs> Uh, that's that's from Warner Brothers. I, I, I it's they use that at the end of a lot of Bugs Bunny cartoons. <laughs> Keep that recording and use that from time to time. Sure, go for it. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> all of me, why not take all of me? My name is Michelle Kazanowski. I'm a musician and a teacher, and I listen to Partnership for the Arts talk show. Take my lips, I, I, I want to lose them. Oh, and won't you take these arms? Who are they going to hold if you refuse them? Wow. <laughs> wow. Every time I hear that track, it just blows my mind. What an incredible voice. And an incredible woman. Michelle, it, 
she is she's a local teacher here at the school but the life she has led and the people that she has met along with her father George Mancini is just incredible the amount of talent that the big stars that they have sung with and you can find out about all of that uh, with George and Michelle two different episodes but you can certainly find all that and many many more on our website at PFTA and again that is Partnership for the Arts PFTA talkshow.org and we are talking art with Drew Dracy he is a comic book graphic novel inker and Judy you promised to take it from here because I'm going to enjoy some of my coffee <laughs> Drew's been talking a lot about uh, some of the work he's done in comic books, but Drew, we'd like to hear about what you're doing right now. Oh, that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 keep myself pretty busy, actually. I, uh, I'm inking a... It's an indie crowdfunding project, but it hasn't been... The campaign hasn't started yet. I'm told not to say anything until it comes out, so it's like, I'm announcing something's coming out eventually. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, But anyway, it's you know it's a superhero-related story, and, uh, and most of the comics I've worked on are superhero-related. I've done some other genres, but not many. You know, comics are mostly superhero or supernatural and stuff like that, but uh, I'm just about done. I swear I'm going to get it done before the new year. And my third volume of my novel series called called The Demands. It's a uh, Amazon exclusive. On, it's about a 22-year-old girl named Lainey Kilburn who moves from Maryland to Pittsburgh on her own and uh, eventually forms indie rock band and they play many bars and other venues owned by the local Russian mob East Coast. Things get really dicey and ugly and the, the two intersect. It just gets real entangled. And there's also a romantic entanglement with Lainey and a guy that she doesn't know is mobbed up. And uh, and they're like a lot of young punks that are kind of, uh, they think they're posers, but they, they're enough to cause trouble. And uh, so, and my whole catchphrase is rock and roll is dead and they're next. Because uh, the whole the whole impetus is, it came back a while back, I... You know, I'm being snotty here when I say I can't stand all those talent shows. I can't, as uh, my friend Chuck mentions, chipmunks singing other people's songs, and uh, <laughs> with really repetitious beat. You have like six co-writers, and yet they say the same phrase over and over again. So it culture anymore. In fact, you would say that almost rock is dead. And you know, I grew up with a lot of bands that played a lot of. You know, they play instruments and were virtuosos. You know, you, you they, they exist, and uh, and then you'll see. A a lot of older acts that go out on the road that do well because people are kind of craving that sort of stuff with the more edgy stuff because I've read so many little insights and I have such a fascination with that stuff that I thought and my cousin Sean has been in a uh, band for year, decades and he's my he's my advisor on technical stuff because <laughs> uh, I don't know I know I have a guitar actually I just I don't know how to play but I know which way to point it so <laughs> so that's a start but, uh, I mean, I just have such a passion for it. It's like I want these people to be like the rock and roll saviors and, you know, bring it back big. And, uh, and the thing is, the, the the silly thing about it is it does sound silly and it, it's so audacious because – but this 22-year-old girl, Lainey, is just young enough with youth – conceit of youth to believe that she can turn – the music culture around and it's like that when you're at that age you know you definitely have the fire in your belly to think 
all new ideas which don't necessarily you don't know the limitations i mean you may learn them harshly later and uh so i kind of tie in with music uh i tie the music in with art i tie the art in with uh, entertainment because i like many other people and many other companies and whatever we're all competing for the same entertainment dollar and now there's so many forms of entertainment out there got Netflix and everything which I love and uh it's just that someone has to really like your stuff to want to part with their precious little money that they spend on entertainment to buy what you want and you know that with my novels I'm the same way I mean I really promote it and just like artwork I do a lot of commissions I do a lot of shows and you have to have a business mind in a sense only because you have to push through so much competition today I mean with uh you know you were talking about some fellow in Russia you were uh, interviewing and uh just with Igor yeah yeah mm-hmm. and, and it's uh you know that that would not have been possible before so we're all competing internationally and uh, so i kind of take my books to be like a microcosm of the drive to try to stand out in a crowd where everybody claims to be in entertainment even if they you know they they do it like once a year and they suck <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Uh, now you said this is your third installment on the novel, correct? Yeah, it's a series because a series series mm-hmm. sell better from what I've told. I mean, because you had like the Twilight series, you had the Hunger Games series, you had, and there's those are the only like the big ones. I mean, there's a lot of smaller ones too. And uh, I love working that format. I originally was going to do it as a comic book back in 2008, and then when the crash hit, I was like, I ain't feeling ambitious. I'm going back to comic. I'm staying with comics. And uh, as far as DC and Marvel inking, you know, because I was going to write and write and draw mm-hmm. it. But um, I found I'm too slow at doing all those, wearing all those hats. That's a screwed up metaphor, but you know what I'm saying. The um, uh, I. It's just it's so fun not having a limitation arbitrarily made to be like 22 pages and pace it out and continue and and comics are expensive they're 3.99 and it's I, I I'm pretty good at describing things uh, through an artist's mind I've been fortunate to do that I've really honed that for the longest time. I, I want to entertain myself but I'm also trying to make it to where uh, it anybody could read it and uh understand it maybe get different interpretations but i just love it so much i'm having so much fun with it well that's good now you're saying when is this going to be done you're going to try and finish it by the end of the year well uh the demands book one is out on amazon uh Mm -hmm. on paperback and kindle and demands two b-sides is uh, also available on amazon uh, uh paperback and kindle and this third one is called the demands stage dive and uh there's going to be a lot of waxing and waning of the popularity and the ability of laney's band to get together and work and try and not fall into a lot of tropes of uh, artistic people whether it be somebody not having enough fire in his belly so he has to get booted out or just you know someone overindulges and shows up late and uh it's you know so i put a lot of emotion behind everything and then there's also a lot of uh there's some satire in there too and uh i i just love wordsmithing you know i i first started writing when i was waiting three friggin weeks for pencils to come in from this artist back in 2014 and so i thought i gotta do something with my time off because i didn't commit to anything else because i I can't overcommit or else uh i might screw up a deadline which is you know verboten and uh 
so uh yeah so i started writing i'm like hey this came out pretty easy <laughs> it's like uh i mean i just wrote like the first two chapters and uh i sent them to a friend of mine who's a very successful writer and he says well this is a strong start he goes let me rearrange the first uh page or two of it though and he did and it helped so uh i'm 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 fortunate in that aspect and i could just i take i am so observational about stuff it, it sometimes it's annoying i'll watch tv and i can't get out of my head i'll be like i'll see the design or pattern of the top of a like a ceiling and you see all the little panels the drop tiles and i see them as perspective points you know from where i am all the way to the back where someone's uh you know uh, and then also i'll see something Somebody will say something that will invoke a feeling in me, and I think, what if that person said it to me? How would I respond? And then I would come up with something I'd have to jot down for my novel, or I think, what if this person said it to this one fictional character who's not like me at all? Uh, so it, it's like the possibilities are endless, but at time, at times it can be a little maddening. You know, <laughs> I understand, but I don't think we've had a chance to talk this time, and it's been a while since we talked because I'm I'm working on my own graphic novel as well. So, oh, congrats! Yeah, so uh, first installment, but uh, I understand all of that, and I think anyone out there that's that's ever been involved in art or especially uh, uh, comics can appreciate that and quite understand that. I think that's kind of universal with any artist, actually. Let me put it that way. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it has. If you're going to be real about it, it has to consume you at points, you know, that, that you don't even mean to. It's like if, if you're really deep in it, it's just going to it's going to insinuate itself into your regular life. And while it's, uh, you know, it's not ideal sometimes, sometimes it's like I can't shut my mind off because this is a great idea. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and the big thing, too, is I've learned about writing is you have to be willing to delete or get rid of the thing you love the most. I. I originally was going to do it as a superhero comic, and my friend Chuck Dixon, who created Bane uh, uh, for Batman, he told me, I love the story, lose the superhero. So I sulked for about a good week, and then <laughs> I, I gave him a new treatment. He said it was a lot better. He says, I wanted to learn more about the band. And I'm like, okay, so that's the way I'll go. Ah. But I, know, I know so many people that are like dogmatic. It's like they haven't proven themselves, and they say, well, it's my style. you know. And even that works with art or writing i mean somebody could be a really crappy artist but convince themselves because their parents their friends are all telling them oh you're great you know you're the only one who draws in the neighborhood but it's like you have to be real i have to reach out to someone i don't know and grab their attention you know grab them by the you know uh, the what do you i hope you're thanking lapel <laughs> you know what i'm talking about so uh lapels lapels that's it yeah, grab them by the lapels. And it's like you have to show them something that they, they will they will not they will not uh, want to skip. You know, they will definitely want to buy your wares. And it, that's a hard thing in a free it's freelancing's a hard lifestyle, mm. I'll be frank. You know, it's high highs and low lows. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, I, I understand, and I'm so glad you, you went with lapels. I was going to where you were going there. I know. <laughs> okay, well, Drew, we're going to be wrapping up here shortly, but I, I've got a couple of questions for you. And Judy, you got anything else you want to cover with you there? Well, I'm, I've just been fascinated by everything you've said, and it sounds like you're really loving what you do, and when you do, then it's not a job, is it? Although you do have deadlines. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Drew, out of the people you worked with, 
because obviously you've mentioned some big names there as well in, in the comic book industry. So, you know, I have to ask, ever get a chance to meet Stanley? Oh, yeah. I, I saw him in uh, 1995 at the San Diego Con, back before it became, back when it was still mostly comics. And he did, right. he did a panel with, with artists from the Silver Age, you know, uh, 1961 through 1970. Mm-hmm. You know, so funny, I, you know, as a kid, I always imagined, you know, running into him somehow, like his car would break down in front of our parents' house in the in the <laughs> winter, and he'd have to spend the night, and he would tell me stories <laughs> until it was too late, I had to get send me to bed. So... He was just as charming and just warm as I had ever hoped he was. I mean, I know for years people were like, oh, Stan's all hype, Stan's all hype. But he makes you feel like you know him. And and I did get a picture taken with him. And, and I'm not even putting blinders on as a fanboy. I mean, I've been disappointed by people that I've loved. But Stan was just like a really, really cool uncle that you can't, when you see him at family get-togethers, you just love seeing him. You know, an incredible ambassador to comics. Yes. Well, I, I don't think the industry would be what it is if he hadn't been there. Anybody else that you've, you've happened to uh, rub elbows with that, that you were excited about? I, well, I, I was with uh, Mike Carlin, who was my editor during the Superman Wonder Woman summer of 96, where I was shocked. Uh-huh. Uh, I managed to take a week off, go to San Diego, and I uh, ran into Frank Miller. It was just really wild. Wow. And uh, my fir- it was my first convention, 1995. Uh, give me a second. Oh, no, it was 96. Uh, First thing I see, I'm getting my pros badge. Who's standing over in the pros area putting on his badge? But Mickey Spillane. Oh, wow. And I'm like, oh, my, you know. <laughs> and I, I didn't say anything to him because I just didn't know what to say. I was so stuck. But then when I got in there later, I saw a lot of people who classic comic art, or Silver Age comic artists I admired, like Gil Kane and, uh, you know, mm. uh, and others like that. And when I'm around those people, I, I do a lot of listening. You know, I find that it's a real obnoxious move to act like oh well i just got hired to ink this one book and now we're you know now we're uh on the same level you know <laughs> yeah it's like no i'd rather sit and li- i had a friend who uh was at a show where will eisner was sitting uh at a dinner after a show i mean will eisner wow, the spirit, the spirit. You know, basically yeah. revolutionized he was sitting at a table with my friend who's a really good artist. I'm not going to mention his name, and he's gotten awards also. But there was this young uh, self-published guy who really didn't have a name, and he kept interrupting Will Wisner. What? Yeah. Acting like they were equals and all this stuff. And my friend got really ticked off because he's like, that's all that time I could have learned from him. This person was yapping. This other guy was yapping his mouth off, you know? So uh, it was like a, a moment in time stolen. Interrupting Will Eisner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine. Yeah, 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 yeah. And people like Sergio uh, Aragonis, uh, the Mad, Mad Mad Magazine cartoonist forever, and he's always at San Diego because he lives in the area, and he's just such a wonderful guy, just so gregarious and sweet, you know? That was one of my favorites, Mad Magazine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. Of course, I'm dating myself. What can I say? Oh, I think that's universal. I, I, I can't imagine someone not liking Mad Magazine. Yeah, they they just uh, stopped publishing it recently. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but but you know, it, it's time had come. I mean, it, you know, it was a thing of its time. Well, well, it had a long run anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, and hope you do too, there, Drew. Thank you. That's very kind of you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. Well, Drew, we're going to be uh, wrapping up here. We're we're running out of time. Anything else yeah, you'd like to add? I don't know. I think I pretty much covered everything. But uh, 
I, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time out to uh, jibber-jabber about my uh, nonsense. <laughs> well, we don't think it's nonsense. It's uh, it's great to get a chance to catch up with you again there, Drew, and finally get the scoop on everything you're doing and you know success with your novels going forward there. How about the uh, way some people can find you? I know you had mentioned a couple of places people can find uh, yeah, you. Yeah, I'm on Facebook, and my name is uh, Drew, and it's G E R A. C-I, and there's a DrewDracy.com, and then there's a DrewDracyAuthor.com, which covers my novels and has uh, non-spoilerish uh, teaser chapters from the books. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so uh, that, you know, and I'm also doing a lot of commissions lately. I've been, for some reason, it's been this like, groundswell of commissions I've gotten, and, uh, like some recreations and some new stuff, you know, whatever, a variety of things. There's, there's, there's empty sketch covers that are printed by marvel dc that you can uh, that i can work on like i've done stuff like that a little of everything so it's it's all good all right good deal well then i think we're going to uh, look at wrapping up judy you good i'm good dave okay all right well drew appreciate you coming on the show great talking to you and uh if you'll just hold on there for one more second drew we'll get something with okay. you after the show okay so we're going to look at wrapping up, everyone. That was another episode of Partnership for the Arts where we talk art. And we finally got to do the comic books. I've been waiting for this for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a great show, Drew. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thank you. Much appreciated. Okay. Hold on one second. If you don't mind, okay. me and yeah. uh, Judy are going to wrap up. Okay, so pretty cool stuff, huh? That's very cool stuff. I enjoyed hearing about that and learning about it. Yeah, a good insight. Well, that's, uh, you know, this was your intro into the comic book conventions because I got a couple tickets booked for you. We're going to go to them. Oh, great. I can't wait. <laughs> we got them close. Tampa's, Florida's got a great lot of them. Okay, so everyone, thanks for listening to Partnership for the Arts. Judy, you have a great day. Thank you, Dave. You too. I will, and uh, we'll get together next show. Can't wait. Okay, thanks. Okay, all right, well, Drew, 